It's not calling you Josh Frydenberg, it's calling you Dosh Frydenberg. Under the coalition, taxes for hard-working Australians will always be lower. Well, g'day and welcome, listeners, to the Two Jacks, the combo. Uh, we're going around the world and all the way around it and over to Australia after that. And joining me today. Day, as usual, all the way from Hong Kong, is Hong Kong Jack, who's uh, got a bit of a uh, croaky throat. So we do apologise to listeners uh, when he sounds, he comes off sounding like, uh, oh, well, uh, like um, uh, a former Channel 9 newsreader, Jack. <laughs> yeah, and I haven't got a croaky throat because I've been out at the sevens. Um, I didn't go at all. I've been uh, tucked up in bed, really, uh, with a, a bit of a bug. But, ah. uh, but Australia managed to win the Hong Kong Sevens for the first time since 1988. And the alcohol would have flowed very, very uh, freely, uh, I'd suggest, after that. But it always does at the Hong Kong Sevens, Jack. Well, the sport's pretty rubbish, so you've got to do something wrong right there. <laughs> it's basically just watching blokes running with a ball yeah, um, <laughs> from one end to the other. Um, even even the, the locals who are pretty keen start getting interested about four o'clock on the Sunday when the semifinals start. The, the other three days are really just about getting on the squirt. Uh, and dressing in ridiculous costumes. Oh, well, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but, we, but we must blame the Hong Kong Sevens for introducing the scourge of game day experience, of music after every try or goal or flashing oh, lights dear. and that sort of Is it them? Are they the ones? Yeah, that's where it all started. Jeez, it's polluted cricket too, hasn't it? And, and actually AFL. Um, uh, you, you, there's just loud music being played after every goal, light, lights flashing. Uh, the T20, of course, uh, we'll, we'll get to the T20 World Cup in a moment, but uh, there's just loud, blaring music going on there all the time. And sometimes when the bowl is coming in to bowl, they've just left it on. Yeah, well, it's the sort of thing you need for rubbish sport, but you've got a decent game on. The game stands for itself. It doesn't need any of this. No, it certainly doesn't. Well, that's that's very much an old man view of the world, by the way. Yeah, no loud music. I agree. I agree. Yeah, it's an old man's view of the world, but <laughs> I don't want my uh, enjoyment of sport interrupted by that. No, no, it's one of the reasons I don't go to the ODIs anymore. Um, uh, not, not, not least of all because overs twenty to forty are really boring. But, but also you get this uh, incredibly loud music being played, and it sort of defeats the purpose of watching the game. Um, all right, Jack. In world matters, so the COP twenty seven uh, has had began in Cairo yesterday. Uh, oh, in fact, uh, early this morning, our time. We're recording on the eighth of November. Uh, and um, uh, is this otherwise known as the showboating championship of the world? Is it? Oh, you're a very cynical man, Jack. This is look. This is important. It's important sort of diplomatic process outside of climate change. Um, but uh, uh, it, it led with an opening statement um, <coughs> from the um, um, prime minister for Barbados, uh, Mia Motley. And she warned that a failure to tackle climate change could create 1 billion refugees by 2050 and accuse rich nations of failing the developing world, according to The Guardian. And Miss Motley said, 
in a speech that the Industrial Revolution had been achieved at the expense of poorer nations, but they will also, <coughs> I should say, they will also see the worst effects of climate change. This is fundamentally unfair, she said. Um, and uh, amidst that, uh, there were predictions of a 28 uh, degree rise in global temperatures um, by 2100. Um, Jack, what's uh, COP going to do to change all of this? What sort of planet are we going to leave to our children and grandchildren? Well, COP will do nothing whatsoever to change any of that. Um, uh, but if you were a poorer, if you're a prime minister of a poorer country and you didn't go there with your hand out looking for more dough, um, you, you'd want to you'd want sacking. Yes, well, look, the, uh, the, the Australian contingent uh, features a, a list of, well, we don't want to be cruel, Jack, but uh, they are a, a list of also rands. The uh, representing Anthony Albanese is the Minister for in- International Development and the Pacific, Pat Conroy, and uh, Assistant Minister for Climate Change and Energy, uh, Senator Jenny Mac- uh, McAllister, will also attend. So they've dragged out the best and brightest there, Jack. They have. If it was in somewhere nicer than Cairo, it would have been a better list. Well, you, you, you perhaps haven't seen the uh, the photos this morning, uh, which uh, show uh, the pyramid. Uh, I think the Great Pyramid of Go. Well, I'm not quite sure which pyramid, um, but uh, it was lit up, looking rather spectacular, Jack, and no yeah. doubt in a, in a carbon friendly way. But if it was in Barbados itself or in Paris or New York or something, um, someone better than the assistant minister for whatever it is um, would have turned up. Yeah, I think uh, Anthony Albanese is probably right not to go. Um, there was some talk that he might go. Um, but um, uh, this looks like it, it, it certainly is a, an opportunity for uh, extended diplomacy outside climate change issues, and, and we'll get to those in a, in a few moments, where world leaders uh, meet and uh, greet and talk about other things, just exactly how this is going to change in climate. I just want to draw your attention to the various reports uh, in the UK papers. Um, <coughs> and um, uh, The Guardian is re- reporting, uh, a la uh, the uh, Barbados Prime Minister, that uh, poor nations will pay twice for climate breakdowns. Um, <coughs> The Indy is uh, running uh, with the, uh, the the take-home message. We are on a high on, on a highway to climate hell. Bit of uh, ACDC reference there. With our foot still on the accelerator, says UN chief at COP27. Uh, Sunak tries to offer hope in his first major global appearance. He said, "We come together in a common cause. We can bequeath our children a greener planet and more prosperous future." Uh, and climate change, an opportunity for a cl- for clean gl- uh, growth as well as a moral mission, he argued. And experts, as I said before, predicting a 2.8%, uh, not, not 8%, but 2.8 uh, Celsius rise in global temperature by 2100 since pre-industrial times. But scientists say this increase must be limited to 1.5 degrees Celsius to avoid the most catastrophic effects. 1.6 won't be okay. Uh, well, it, 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 2.8 would seem to be a little bit be, be a little bit too much, and and it, it seems like we are running out in terms of the sorts of things that can cause 
uh, island uh, nations like Barbados and, and those in the South Pacific are just becoming be, be becoming unlivable. Um, has anybody uh, said it's the great moral challenge of our times? Not yet, not yet. I'm not even sure that Kevin's there. I, I suspect he probably is. I saw him pop up uh, uh, and uh, uh, in an act of self-praise said that he was very, very proud to see uh, that the Albanese cabinet uh, boasted many ministers from his era uh, and uh, that, that drew no response at all from the Albanese government. Uh, they probably don't want him in the photo. <laughs> All right. So we you've, will... You've been to... I haven't been to Barbados, but I'm pretty sure you have. Yes, I have. Yes, yes. Uh, it, it, it's a, it's a beautiful... On, on, very, on very important matters. Very important cricketing matters, of course. Yeah. It's, it, 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 look, when I was there, it, it, American um, sort of tourist development was just underway, um, but now that's that's really changed quite dramatically. Barbados is the um, um, uh, outlier uh, in the uh, in the Caribbean islands. Uh, it's uh, uh, <coughs> basically um, further out the Atlantic than than the rest of the chain. I think the Leeward and Windward Islands. Um, and yes, it, it, it is prone to. Um, as as some of the other islands are, but perhaps perhaps less protected uh, in terms of hurricanes uh, and uh, what we call cyclones here, uh, typhoons where you are, um, and uh, it hasn't got the belting for a while. But a number of the uh, the Caribbean islands have um, Antigua still recovering, and uh, and Puerto Rico as well. Um, so they are acutely aware of uh, of of, of, uh, of of serious weather. Uh, issues arising there. Um, uh, it, it is a rather beautiful island, it, it, it must be said, in that sort of strange West Indian way um, where they uh, they put a petrol refinery sort of, uh, you know, a couple of blocks down the road from the Hilton. Uh, <laughs> that, that was always a bit of a strange thing. Um, but um, but on the uh, on the western side of the island, uh, they were just sort of developing the big American and European um, villas um, uh, to uh, to keep their economy motoring along. That's another big consequence. If if a, if if an island becomes unlivable, substantially unlivable, then the big tourist dollars will stay away. Mm. All right, well, we'll report more on COP27 as it unfolds. Um, it really just was the, the beginning of it uh, yesterday. And, um, and, and really that gives the smaller nations that opportunity to get, to get out there and, and the bigger ones will, will follow this week. Um, but meantime, Jack, uh, catching our eye, we're, we're both Twitter users uh, to some degree. I well, I'm barely- a Twitter reader rather than a user. So. I barely pop my head in the door these days, perhaps once a day. But, uh, uh, of course, uh, as we all know, Elon Musk has, has purchased uh, Twitter and uh, it's become a bit of a comedy. Um, uh, can I just read a rather lovely paragraph uh, from Hugo Rifkin at The Times who wrote of it, uh, all the best plot arcs have three acts. Act one in this plot had Elon Musk tweeting that and, and he quotes, comedy is now legal on Twitter three days after spending US $44 billion, $68 billion Australian to buy the social media site. Act 2 saw other users immediately changing their names and photos on the site, pretending to be Musk himself, saying things like, 
my wife left me and I've made a huge mistake and there is nothing better than waking up and enjoying a fresh steaming cup of my own urine, which you must admit, says Rifkind, is pretty good comedy. Uh, whereupon we, we had Act 3, which was the real Musk, now tweeting that those engaging in impersonation without clearly specifying parody will be permanently suspended and a number of people were yesterday uh, having learnt as Monica taught us in Friends that rules control the fun. Uh, very, very amusing column from Rifkin. I'm going to have a crack at uh, this particular topic um, <laughs> tomorrow. It, it has been a baptism of fire uh, for Mr Musk. Um, there were stories yesterday and they've been confirmed. There were, I, I, I first caught it, came across them at, at, in um, um, uh, um, oh well, uh, uh, what was it? Um, uh, the uh, the US <coughs> economic site Bloomberg had reported that, but this, but I think it was reported uh, earlier elsewhere that uh, uh, that a number of people had been uh, uh, told uh, don't don't come in Monday, and uh, then they got a call saying we would like you to come in on Monday. Um, people were apparently sacked um, <laughs> sacked mistakenly. And, uh, and other people were uh, subsequently found to be of use. So they've been asked to come back. A number of them, of course, won't. Mm. All very interesting. Um, yes. <coughs> and, of course, the big thing is that uh, by yesterday, the 7th of the 11th, uh, that uh, everyone was going to have to pay seven ninety nine US a month to get a blue tick. But apparently that's been put on hold too until after the midterms, uh, we now believe. Uh, and there is some sort of story that um, uh, there is some sort of story that if you don't have a blue tick, Jack, and neither you or nor nor I have one, uh, that we will be cast into the uh, social media abyss, and uh, and uh, and basically uh, whatever we say won't be promoted as heavily as those who have paid for the service. Is it going to work, Jack? Is this going to work? It doesn't seem like a good idea to me. Yeah, who knows. Um, all I know is if you're a Twitter shareholder, um, you weren't making any money before, and if you still kept your shares, um, you're a chance to make a, make a little bit now with a new boss. Well, uh, yeah, look, the, uh, the social media platform uh, has uh, made uh, money, well, it has made a profit uh, in two years only of the last 12, and I think that's 2018, 2019, during a pandemic where presumably people had a little bit more time on their hands to engage in social media, it uh, it, it recorded a one point three billion Australian dollar loss and a five hundred million dollar loss in twenty twenty one. My view of this is that is the Twitter with an astonishing number of active users, by far the the greatest uh, short message um, platform going around in social media or has always grown its active users and that's defined by people who go there daily um, to, um, uh, to and it has around 250 million of those compare that to parlor with half a million compare that to um, telegram with I think about 50 million and compare that to true socials which I think about 12. 12 people, um, uh, it, it does have a lot of active users. So there is a great deal of, um, there is a great deal of engagement, but it, it, it really struggles um, to, uh, to draw in advertising revenue. And that's been exacerbated, Jack, by, by the fact that a number of big uh, advertisers are holding their money back. Um, 
uh, Musk was babbling on the weekend about uh, a, a boycott of 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 a kind, um, but uh, really, it's the advertisers are holding their money back because they are concerned about content moderation, and they should be concerned about content moderation, Jack, because um, because Elon sacked all the content moderation staff. Mm. Um, the most interesting thing about the advertisers on Twitter was a, a comment on Twitter. It reads, it says something about Twitter that I had no idea that all the advertisers pulling their advertising ever advertised on Twitter. And, I, and that's my experience. I've never seen an ad on Twitter. Oh, you, well, you see sponsored content. This is the problem. This is the problem that the overall, regardless of who owns Twitter, when you scroll through, unlike Instagram, Facebook, etc., you you know, where there is certain confusion and imagery, etc., often a video uh, provided by an advertiser, with with Twitter, you just oh sponsor content, just scroll on past, uh, and and obviously these things can be measured by click throughs, and um, and I suspect, although I don't know for sure, I suspect the click throughs on Twitter are very very small indeed, um, yeah. compared to Instagram, Facebook, where there are big. Um, uh, where, where there, there would be bigger click-throughs and, and, and greater interest generated. It's just not a platform that, for mine that encourages a lot of advertising. Um, uh, <clears throat> and uh, we also know, Jack, that Facebook, Meta, uh, is looking at uh, cutting some, cutting, making drastic staff cuts, Jack. Can I give you an interesting stat on that? To return to pre-COVID letter, uh, employee levels, that's 2019, Meta, which is Facebook, would have to lay, us, lay off almost half its staff and Google, to do the same, would have to lay off around 30%. Yeah, look, it's, it's really interesting and, <coughs> and we're talking about ad revenue which runs these companies and Google as well, you know, um, YouTube, etc. It, it, it basically runs off advertising revenue and yep. Facebook... Uh, Facebook uh, is probably the world leader in that. YouTube, Google, uh, not far behind. Um, <coughs> the advertising market, and this is something the mainstream media knows very, very well, print media in particular, uh, there is, you know, there is sort of indication or, or evidence that, that about 70% of the revenue that was generated in uh, from advertising in newspapers has gone to Facebook. But in the end, you are, we are still talking about a, 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 um, a larger slice of a, of a ever decreasing pie. Um, that advertising is uh, is is really really diverse now with the internet, and it's just not providing the old rivers of gold in, into into the classifieds and in the Fairfax papers, for example, and now the rivers of gold for Facebook, but they're drying up. Yes. Uh, <coughs> all right. Um, uh, yeah, look, uh, I did know... About, there is a positive about Twitter, I mean, apart from providing some harmless amusement to people like me. Um, this is a, a, a very good comment, I think. Twitter has been great in one, in one way of producing a sense of democratic possibility. It shows you virtually every day that there are normal people out there smarter and funnier and more decent than our elite editorial boards and opinion havers. And I thought oh, that dear. was a bad spot on. How rude. I did actually do a bit of a dig because uh, Kanye West, uh, who continues to be banned on Facebook and Instagram, 
was uh, allowed back into to Twitter yesterday. Um, so I did a bit of a trawl on Kanye's stuff, and his stuff uh, that did include a video not tweeted by him but one of his fans, one of his many fans, uh, saying that he uh, felt very sorry about the Holocaust. He's been, of course, um, banned from social media uh, broadly for various anti-Semitic remarks that he has made. Uh, he did uh, issue, uh, this was not tweeted by him, but it was a video made by him. Uh, and then I looked at a rolling series of anti-Semitic remarks around Kanye West's ban. And uh, look, if Twitter is to die, I say, well, Bad luck. We'll move on to something else, and that's the yeah. that's that's the issue for Twitter. It really doesn't have a competitor right now, but it could in a heartbeat. Really, Facebook could generate around its <coughs> its uh, instant <coughs> messaging program uh, could create a sort of town hall forum. It's just a matter of you know if they could figure out a way to make money out of it, um, yeah. they could simply do this and blow Twitter away. And um, Twitter may well die, and if it does. I say R.I.P. Mm-hmm. All right, over to the um, over to the midterms, Jack, um, <clears throat> and uh, the uh, the polling is showing us that uh, there's there's a red wave coming, but it's not a tsunami. Yeah, I stopped looking at the polling about this stage of elections and start looking at um, who's spending money and where, because that gives you a pretty fair indication of what the party's internal polling shows, and that's always, and their focus groups, and that's always more accurate than the public polls. And and you you were pointing out that uh, the the Democrat governor of New York is a, is in some trouble on that basis, on that evidence that uh, Barack Obama's been very busy there, as has Joe Biden. Uh, they both they're, the Clintons. Yeah, and and that's what we might call an Australia sandbagging, Jack. Yeah, uh, although I, I don't know what poor Kathy Hochul, the Democratic candidate for governor, has done wrong, but they had her um, flanked by Kamala Harris on one side and Hillary Clinton on the other, and, and I think that's unfair to the poor candidate. Um, <laughs> she's surrounded by the unelectable and the unlikable. <laughs> yes, well, there you go. Um, we'll see how those things go. I mean, I'd be most surprised if uh, the New York governor was in any sort of trouble. Um, the She should hang on, but the fact that they're wheeling out the big guns in a place like that indicates that they're not very sure they're going to win. Yeah, so they're just, they're just, just to explain to listeners who might have come across uh, our uh, podcast for the very first time, um, the midterms uh, include, uh, I think... Uh, 36, uh, the election of 36 senators uh, to, uh, to, to the Senate, to the uh, upper house, uh, and all House of Reps uh, are, um, seats are up for grabs. Um, and, of course, there are gubernatorial, love that word, gubernatorial elections uh, in, I think, another 30-odd states. I couldn't give you the precise right. number. Um, and and there are elections of, of, uh, of uh, what we call down-ticket officials in states as well. Um, and uh, polling has... Uh, well, there's been a number of issues around polling today. I see that uh, a number of early voters uh, have been... Uh, have had their votes rejected. Um uh, we uh, uh, the the GOP is making its closing pitch 
Democrats try to head off big losses, according to the Washington Post today. Uh, Republicans have, are suing to disqualify thousands of mail ballots in swing states, Jack. Gee, it's got an ominous sound of 2020 about it, hasn't it? Yeah, well, their problem in America is they need a, 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 an Australian Election Commission type body running the place. Yeah, uh, and, and, and again, just a reminder that the, each of the 50 states have their own electoral rules. Um, and uh, and there's no real consistency there in terms of uh, early voting, in terms of mail-in ballots, in terms of how you actually place a vote, whether you whether you put a, a, a piece of paper, a, a pencil to a piece of paper, or whether you uh, pull a lever, or whether you uh, whether you move a mouse or click a mouse. Um, uh, <coughs> it's uh, it's it's basically uh, determined by the states. It would have it would be better if there was a national body. But I don't think that's going to happen in a hurry. No, and and the, all of those states have the operation run by an elected official, so a party political operator. Yeah, that's right, and that that makes it you know prone to not not going to say electoral fraud, but but you you do have issues around that, um, and and constant legal squabbling before each election uh, and <clears> after. So we'll see how that goes. I would say the red tsunami is not coming, uh, but I would say that uh, that there is a red wave coming, which will, which may well uh, um, uh, give uh, uh, the, the GOP, the Republicans, a majority in both houses. Um, that seems to be the most likely outcome of all. The, the Dems may still hang on in the Senate, but it seems to be the most likely on polling. Um, that that's the way it will go. And that's kind of situation normal, isn't it? Uh, yes, what, what you'd really expect, yes. When, uh, when, for, you, when you've got a president as unpopular as Joe Biden is and uh, rampant inflation, um, you would always expect to lose the midterms. Yeah, there's there's a lot of issues that would, that would <laughs> see the status quo change. By the way, Jack, Elon Musk... Has uh, has advocated that uh, twi- that his uh, his many Twitter followers, counting in the millions, vote Republican. Jack, have you seen that? I did. Specifically, he said he thinks government works better with contest. Um, and if you've got a Democratic president, you need a Republican House. Oh, I see. So, so, so democracy works better with uh, with uh, legislative uh, dysfunction. I see. I see how that works. Um, <coughs> Yes, okay. And we do apologise for a bit of noise there. Uh, Jack uh, lives in uh, the middle of a construction site and uh, <laughs> there is a bit of racket going on and we'll keep moving because it's bound to get worse. Um, we do yeah, apologise. Well, well Hong-, Hong Kong is a construction site always. Now, but <clears> one <throat> enormous distraction, and he's been an enormous distraction for a long time, and he's a rather enormous man, is that Trump uh, is likely to announce his presidential campaign in 2024 on the eve of the vote, Jack. And that's, well, he, uh, he clearly thinks there will be a red wave. He's running around trying to claim credit for it. Right. <laughs> so so it, it, I think that's causing great concern <laughs> to Republicans. I suspect moderate Republicans would be looking at this askance going, please, please don't muddy the waters here. We're trying to remain focused. Um, but it does lead us to, to think about what might happen in 2024. In my view, Trump has, um, 
has basically painted himself into a corner and must now run in the Republican primary, which is the selection process to determine who the Republican candidate will be and the Democrats go through the same process. Uh, or he can just take his money and go. Well, the, the problem with that, Jack, is he, he has basically got a business model that, that revolves around political donations. And if, yeah. he jump, if he jumps out, that means those, that, that money dries up. Uh, and, it depends, uh, when he, depends when he jumps out. He can keep taking money for two years and then... then yeah, then yeah most definitely he can. But the, the, the person who seems to be you know, from the Republican side, the person who seems to me the, the one who's going to cause him the most problems uh, are the, uh, is the Florida uh, uh, Governor Ron DeSantis. Uh, and he will look like he will win his uh, election uh, comfortably. Um, and uh, and he's got a fair old pot of cash stashed away for a 2024 campaign too. He raised over $200 million for the uh, gubernatorial campaign, um, and he has spent less than half of that uh, and still outspent his opponent by... Uh, uh, spent twice as much as, as his opponent, and he will win in a canter. He will win um, so, by the so, length. Oh, so he's going to have going to have hundred million plus left to uh, use on another campaign, which is probably chicken feed in terms of what Trump's got uh, in the pot. But we do know that he's it's a said- nice. It's a nice starting point, though. Um, yeah. uh, Tr- Trump started calling him, referring to him as Ron de Sanctimonious. Uh, this is a, the, the Trump playbook from 2016, where he described he, he took out um, most of the most of his opponents in a single night by describing Marco Rubio as little Marco, um, and uh, and Ted Cruz as lying Ted Cruz, and uh, and Jeb Bush as low energy Jeb. Now the advantage he had with those people was there's one there was enough truth in all of those jibes. Um, to make them stick. Well, two but of those three you mentioned are, are now massive Trump supporters, Jack. Yeah, um, but the um, – uh, well, I think they're – I wouldn't say they're massive oh, Trump Cruz, supporters. Cruz definitely got on the train, yeah. Oh, I know, but I think I think lying Ted would jump on another train if it was going past and, <laughs> and, and, and it looked like it was this going is, a bit quicker. That is, that is quite true. That is quite yeah, true. Um, uh, but the, the, I don't think the Ron de Sanctimonious thing will work in the same way, and I think um, – Ron DeSantis is made of much sterner stuff than uh, than Rubio, um, uh, Jeb Bush, or, or Cruz. Yeah, look, uh, I, I have been predicting for a little while that uh, Ron will uh, win the um, uh, Trump or not will win the Republican primary in twenty twenty four, and he would be a formidable opponent for whoever the Dems throw up, Jack. And that's that's a real mystery too. I, I suspect that Biden is going to have a uh, well, Biden believes that he is a good matchup for Trump, and the evidence is certainly in the past that uh, that he has been certainly knocked him off in twenty twenty. Um, but um, but uh, shall we say uh, Joe's uh, cognitive abilities are a bit of a concern going forward? They don't seem to be getting better. They don't right. <laughs> these things, as we know, um, do not get uh, better. Uh, uh, Andrew Neil, the distinguished British journalist, uh, said this week um, that. The Dems' problem is that uh, Biden, neither Biden nor Harris, uh, deserve to win the nomination, and the Republicans' problem is that Trump's not fit for office, and that's about right, I think. <laughs>
Yeah, so they've got there's a sort of a laundry list of other candidates there, Jack. If we if we move on from Kamala Harris, who's a Californian Democrat and thus I would think unelectable. I mean, even if she wasn't a bit of a, shall we say, um, 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 a bit of an empty vessel, Jack. Uh, <laughs> a bit of an airhead, you might say. <laughs> Yeah, look, she's. I, I just. My point is that uh, uh, California Democrats and indeed New England Democrats are probably the not not the right person to put up against a DeSantis or indeed a Trump. That you need someone who represents uh, perhaps the Midwest, for example, uh, uh, who, who who might come along there. Um, we've got Beto uh, Buttigieg, um, who's uh, now I think transport secretary. Um, he is transport secretary when he when he goes to work. When, he had about when, six months of um, paternity <laughs> leave, and no one knew. No one knew he wasn't there. <laughs> well, that's that's that means he's that means he's a great delegator, Jack. That's what you need when you're a president. Um, uh, Amy Klobuchar is, is is one that I think, uh, he, but she's been very quiet lately. Um, uh, Amy Klobuchar, I think, from Wisconsin, uh, would be an ideal candidate to take on someone like. Um, uh, DeSantis, um, but yeah, there is a sort of it, it, the, the primaries are going to be fascinating. I mean, for the Democrats, I mean, if Biden deserves to go, I think that will mean a lot of them will sit out, and then that leaves them very, very vulnerable. Vulnerable if he, yeah. if he does. And, and Beto, Beto O'Rourke's sole claim to fame um, seems to be that he looks a little bit like a young. Bobby Kennedy. He does look. He does. He's got that Kennedy style about him, but he really hasn't won in too many elections, Jack. No, he's about to get another hiding. He's, he's standing <laughs> uh, for, for governor of Texas and going to lose um, uh, badly again. So you would think that will pr- probably put it behind him. Look, just to follow up on the the last run of polling, Mr. Nobis, excuse me, ABC poll published in the Washington Post. Um, uh, it looks very close. Voters' intentions for the House are split about evenly, with 49% of registered voters saying they will vote for the Republican candidate in their district and 48% saying they will vote for the Democrat. Uh, likely voters split 50% Republican and 40% Democratic. And if you don't understand even more confusion about American elections, uh, there is, in many states, um, 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 uh, well, there's a registration process uh, and you can register for the Democrat Party or you can register for um, um, for for the Republicans. You can register independent. Other states don't require a registration. Um, uh, other states like Oregon, uh, Washington, for example, have automatic have automatic uh, registration of voters, uh, while others you've got to trundle down to a government office somewhere, a little bit like the Blues Brothers final scene um, or, or penultimate scene, uh, and that's where you have to register to vote. So it's a very complex and com- complicated system that doesn't allow for um, uh, very clear polling to as an indication of where it's all going to go. No, no, uh, and we Australians should be grateful to have a much better electoral system. Um, it's all done on paper, all with a HB pencil, um, uh, and uh, the votes exist physically, can be, and they are counted at the polling booth in front of party officials. That's the way it should be run. Yeah, I know. We've got a much better system here. Um, and, but although our polling still can be a bit, bit, go a bit of scarce, we'll talk about that's, some... And that's not to say there's no skullduggery in Australian uh, elections because there is. Oh, plenty. Um, uh, but it's just on a smaller scale. Look, Jack, 
let's go a, a little bit into the future without seeing how these results will pan out. But for mine, some of the Democrats that are at risk are, are of the more moderate variety. And this may pose a problem for Biden, uh, certainly will pose a problem for Biden and, and, and pose a bit of an issue for the Democrat Party moving forward. Um, that if you do lose your sort of moderate faction, uh, you've got uh, a rather loud and outspoken group uh, remaining. Is that what's going to happen here, Jack? Um, yeah, the the, the, um, the the Democrats' problem is that they've been rushing to one edge too much. Um, they, um, they've gotten caught up in things like identity politics, uh, divisive social issues like gender issues, all that sort of stuff. They followed the defund the police idea down the rabbit hole and they've let the teacher unions make <clears throat> too many decisions about education and, and they're all losing issues if you're trying to get the centre. It has been um, it has been an odd sort of campaign with the Republicans focusing a lot on crime, which is not really a federal issue. I mean, not for the most part, anyway. So it's been it's been one of those ones that where where the Republicans have found uh, an Achilles heel, or they think they have, and have exploited it uh, very well. So by by next week, when Jack's voice is better, um, we'll uh, we'll have a, be able to cover the results of the. Um, well, we should have most of them, Jack. We should have most of them through by next week. Um, <coughs> so, yes. uh, so yeah, we'll get on to that. Uh, meanwhile, Jack in Brazil. My, my, my tip, by the way, is for uh, a much more comfortable win for the Demo for the Republicans than the ABC poll suggests. Okay, well, we'll see about that. I would think that's right. I mean, when I look at RCP and when I look at 538, we are seeing a bit of a transition, not the red tsunami, but a bit of a red wave, I would suggest, and, and it is more likely than not that the Republicans will have a majority in both houses. But meanwhile, Jack, in Brazil, where we thought all sorts of post-election shenanigans were on the way, uh, the transition seems to be going fairly smoothly. It does. Um, I'm not sure that Lula and uh, Bolsonaro, the winning and losing presidential candidates, have met, but certainly their top officials have met. Um, and uh, uh, losing candidate Bolsonaro has urged his supporters to end the blockades that were bedeviling the highway system. Um, he said that the demonstrations were legitimate, but the roadblocks were restricting people's right to come and go and hurting the economy. Yes, a, a, a very um, 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 uh, placatory sort of statement from Bolsonaro. We did sort of, and he didn't indeed, he made remarks before the election that he might, he might not accept it if it didn't go his way. Uh, they call him Tropical Trump, uh, Jack, but he, he, he did not pull the, tro he did not pull the Trump uh, trigger. No, no, it's very close to the election result and the consequences of losing in an uh, election in Brazil can be pretty dire. So you'd have some sympathy for him to be um, uh, having a good think before he conceded, but he seems to be doing so. Yeah, it, it's good news for Brazil. Uh, I think the fifth largest democracy on the planet and, uh, and, a, and a country sort of divided along political lines. They need to, uh, they need to heal up. And we'll see if Lula's, uh, Lula, the uh, the head of the Brazilian Workers' Party, is capable of doing that. Um, just before we get on to Russia and Ukraine, Jack, it, it, it must be said that Lula, while he's been fated by the left around the world, has some very odd views, very pro-Putin views, Jack, in regards to uh, Ukraine and Russia. 
He does indeed. Um, uh, I've been quite amused to see all of the um, the leftists around the world hailing his election, um, but they don't seem to have read back at what he said about Putin and, and Ukraine. Yes, yes, and uh, now moving on to uh, to Russia, Jack. Uh, there seems to be a fair amount of uh, general clumsiness around uh, um, certain Russian people. They seem to have trip and fall accidents on a fairly frequent basis, uh, and and uh, this has occurred to a Russian lawmaker. Apparently, he's had another nasty fall. Yeah, dead. so nasty Ant- he's dead. Antonoli uh, Karpov, is he de- I thought he was still in a coma. Um, oh, uh, yeah, he, well, yes, that's right. He, he's in, yes, that's right. I haven't, he's in a, a bit early to kill him off, but he's not looking well. He's in a medically induced coma in one of the big hospitals in, uh, in Moscow. But uh, he's a Putin loyalist, but uh, he made the error of, of suggesting that it was time to end the war to stop the killing. Oh well, then, yeah, and and, 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 and therein the, leads a lot of sort of clumsiness, um, yeah. inability to climb a flight of stairs, etc. You know, yeah. Um, there's a long list. On all jokes aside, there's a long list of oligarchs and other prominent uh, Russians who have had um, uh, deaths under very suspicious circumstances. Uh, one oligarch in in Italy, more or less in ex- exile, his wife and. Um, uh, and and daughter, young daughter, were bludgeoned to death, uh, reportedly in a, a, a in a murder suicide, where he was, uh, where he, he subsequently is uh, believed to have committed suicide. It's a very very strange indeed. There's quite a lot of it going uh, going about, Jack. It tells us that anyone who defies the word of uh, Vladimir Putin is in a fair amount of trouble in Russia and outside of it. Don't think I'd be going to Moscow to sell a life insurance. <laughs> That's right. Now, meanwhile, this is a really big sort of um, uh, uh, report, um, and this was uh, this was covered in the Australian yesterday on the seventh of November. That President Biden's top national security advisor is engaged. Um, in confidential conversations with top aides to Russian President Vladimir Putin in an effort to reduce the risk of a broader conflict over Ukraine and warn Moscow against nuclear weapons or other weapons of mass destruction. That's uh, US National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan. He's been in contact with Yuri Yushikov, a foreign policy advisor to Mr Putin. Uh, This is what we call back-channel diplomacy, Jack. It is, and it's very useful. It is very Indeed, if... if, if this wasn't happening, um, uh, someone in the US government ought to march out to Foggy Bottom, which is the home of the State Department, and fire a lot of them, you know, um, because you would expect competent dip- diplomats to be doing just this. Yes, you would, except to say that when we're talking about um, perhaps more extreme politically, Democrats have been lobbying uh, Biden to say, we need, uh, we need, you need to go pick up the phone and talk directly to Putin and negotiate a settlement. And Biden's refused to do that uh, because he says we will not have any, we will not conduct any negotiations that exclude the Ukrainians. Yeah, well, it's different. It it is a different question. Yeah, it is a different thing, isn't it? Um, But 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 simply, you can't have a a a negotiated settlement that doesn't involve the Ukrainians uh, around the table. Yeah, that, well, that's probably right. Uh, besides, Joe might have forgotten who Vladimir is. 
at the moment, his cognitive problems seem to be getting much worse. We do not want Joe Biden to have a trip and fall accident, Jack. That's the other thing. No. Uh, and, of course, uh, uh, Macron, uh, the French president, uh, Emmanuel Macron, has been on the blower and he copped a bit of a serve from Putin who has a rather odd view of history. He does. Well, well Macron's um, sort of cast himself as the, as the Western leader who will stay in contact with Putin, and that's a useful role for some, that someone has to do. Um, but uh, Vladimir told him that, um, that uh, the, the history of the, the, the lesson from Nagasaki and Hiroshima is that you can take out a secondary city um, without causing um, nuclear conflagration. Um, uh, it's rather ominous. Sure. Rather ominous. But but it's not exactly the way uh, World War Two ended, Jack, in, in the Pacific conflict, is it? I mean, um, there, was no. a, there was a Tokyo firebombing um, uh, which uh, which killed 140,000 people, much more mm. in the immediate casualties than yes. Hiroshima and Nagasaki put together. Um, now, that has since been... Uh, exceeded by both of those by both of those cities, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, because um, because of radiation sickness uh, that goes on for um, uh, multiple generations. But the Tokyo firebombing is a hideous event. I mean, one hundred and forty thousand mainly civilians all died in in incendiary bombing attacks. Mm. Yeah, but yeah, well, I think Macron's a useful person to have doing that as the person who does make personal contact with. With, with Putin. You do have to have these back channels available. As well. And, <laughs> and, and you would also put um, the Turkish President Erdogan uh, in, that, in, that, uh, in that boat as well. And, and, and also, presumably, Benjamin Netanyahu, because in Israel, everything old is new again, and it looks like he <coughs> is going to be uh, the, the Prime Minister of Israel yet again. Yes, the, the longest serving by a fair way now, the longest serving Israeli Prime Minister. And, uh, and, and he's, he's come to elect, uh, be elected on, on the back of a fairly extreme right wing group, Jack. Yeah, well, Israeli politics is a strange beast, it's fair to say. Um, they run from the extremes, from one, one, one extreme to the other. Oh, they, haven't, they haven't gone to the left too often, mate. Um, yeah. <laughs> And certainly not to the extreme left. It it, it it is a bit alarming. I mean, for me anyway. I mean, um, the, the Palestinians would would look to be. I mean, they have been essentially asked to negotiate from a position of absolute weakness, and um, and uh, uh, the Israelis uh, have got um, uh, have got various accords behind them. The Arab world is largely leaving the Palestinians. Uh, well, the, the Arab on the side world of the road. To, if, you, if you talk to people who spend a lot of time in the Middle East, they will tell you that the Arab world had left the Palestinians a long time ago in private, but publicly were maintaining their support for them. But the support for the Palestinians was about an inch deep. Yeah, well, I just don't see how there'll be any progress in Gaza, and, and, and you know, Gaza is probably the most one of the most impoverished parts of uh, of the world, um, and uh, and I just can't see any sort of um, uh, negotiator settlement going forward there that that in, you know that that gives them the sort of basic human rights that, that are required. And meanwhile, under Netanyahu, uh, we know that the um, uh, well, the, 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 the settlements 
uh, Israeli settlements um, uh, in uh, in disputed territories, which is um, um, uh, uh, in denial of, of various uh, various peace treaties that the Israelis have signed, will continue. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's pretty much peace is in the hands of the Palestinians. Uh, I can't remember which US president what it was who said all of them have had a you know all of them had a crack at trying to negotiate peace in the Middle East. Um, I, I can't recall which one said that the Palestinians never miss a chance to miss a chance. Yeah, okay, but I mean, we are talking about we are not now talking about negotiating from a from a position of utter weakness, and uh, I don't know that that's all that good for the Palestinian people. They may be seriously let down by their political uh, by their political leadership, but uh, for the Palestinian people themselves, um, it, it, it looks pretty grim. Um, uh, well, they don't get much of a vote. They they, they voted in. Um, uh, it's about fifteen years since they voted in uh, Abbas for a four-year term. Uh, yeah, exactly right. So the political leadership letting them down, but but you do have you know great. I have great sympathy for uh, for the Palestinian people um, in and around Gaza, um, and. Um, yeah, we, one would hope that there's some sort of a better solution coming their way, but it doesn't look good. And meanwhile, Jack, in, in Italy, ha, have the trains started running on time? Is everyone wearing grey uniforms yet? Well, post-election, there was a lot of talk that, that Italy was going to turn fascist because of the sort of murky background of the new prime minister, but that doesn't seem to have happened at all. No, and she, well, well, you know, while the Italian Prime Minister Maloney was basically, uh, was seen to be a bit of a pro-Putin um, uh, choice, uh, she, she's been sort of profoundly um, uh, opposed to the invasion and hasn't budged an inch. No, there, was, there were large demonstrations in Rome and other cities uh, last week for people calling for an end to... Um, the uh, military support of Ukraine, mm. um, uh, and they were in effect demonstrating against the Prime Minister, who is very much in favour of continued military support for Ukraine. Yeah, I suspect there's a fair bit of Russian money flying around there with those protests, Jack. You just wouldn't have to dig too deep to find there's uh, a bit of support coming, uh, coming with some black, some black money to a lot of those, uh, a lot of those groups. We've seen them in Australia. Very, very disappointing turnouts uh, on the streets of Sydney and Melbourne, uh, uh, calling for um, uh, Australia to be um, bipartisan, not bipartisan, to be non-aligned in regard to this conflict. They dragged out about 250 people in Sydney um, and uh, it was a very odd thing Jack you, you would think if you were not aligned you would not want to wave a Russian flag in a protest um, of that kind well the whole non-aligned movement um, uh, and the nuclear disarmament movement you know right back through the 70s was largely funded by the Russians no okay that's something that I did not know but it's, it's as, as an old labor hand told me years ago um, whenever you see these peace activists, have a good look at them because very much they're not in favour of peace. They're just on the other side. <laughs> well, just if you're walking down, walking down Pitt Street waving a, a Russian flag, um, uh, you may not in, be entirely uh, supportive of the idea of uh, neutrality. Um, 
Meanwhile, Jack, uh, you've uh, listed the UK uh, and uh, the, the Sunak government and its biggest challenge is immigration. And uh, today, as if they'd all been listening to you, Jack, um, uh, Sunak and Macron uh, met and uh, shook hands and embraced. This was at COP in uh, Cairo. Uh, and uh, I've got to say, Rishi Sunak's sh- sh- shoes are the su- shiniest in the world, Jack. I can actually oh, no, see I reckon, my reflection. I, I, I saw Barack Obama um, uh, on the telly the other day. I reckon he, he's he's oh, right up there. Mate, you've got to see these. You've got to see this photo. They, they, they are glistening. They look like patent leather. Uh, but anyway, uh, there was the embrace with Macron. Rishi, Rishi, Rishi can probably afford to have about a, a dozen oh, like yeah, shiny yeah, shoes. Half a, dozen, morning, half a dozen bikes doing the shoes. And <laughs> look, he. Uh, uh, but uh, in, in all seriousness, it, it would seem that they are in the final stages of a deal on illegal. Immigration, which will allow UK officials uh, to uh, to conduct inqu- inquiries, investigations, conduct searches on French territory. Jack, yes. Well, this is a, a losing issue for every government that faces it. It was in Australia. Um, it certainly is in the United States. It's one of the reasons the Democrats are in, in big bother. Is you know two million people. Every few weeks coming across the border, or two million people a year crossing the border, the southern border, um, and it's certainly a losing issue in uh, the UK. I've got to say that what's on the table there is an eighty million pound um, expansion of, as I say, um, uh, a customs HR, uh, sorry HRH, <laughs> His Majesty's customs officials uh, going into French territory. Eighty million pounds doesn't sound quite enough for that kind of uh, volume of uh, people, Jack. Uh, no, but um, they're paying. Um, it's working out about sixty thousand pound per person who comes across in a dinghy. Yeah, They're putting him up in four-star hotels, and, and it seems like I mean I'm not saying not suggesting that they're ditching what was a Boris Johnson policy of relocating uh, refugees to um, uh, to Rwanda, uh, which is currently clogged uh, clogged up in the uh, jammed up in the in the courts in the UK. Yeah, that was always going to run into problems in the UK courts. I did read uh, from we have, to, uh, we have to ask ourselves. Why is it that people leave France um, and, and and go to the UK? Why do they risk their lives and pay about £5,000 a pop to sit on a dinghy for a few hours and go all the way across the channel? Well, it can't be for the food, Jack. No, it wouldn't be for the food. I mean, I, 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 there's a perception, I suppose, of, of some, some sort of safe haven, uh, and, and I guess also that uh, uh, there's a bit of a perception that there might be some employment opportunities too. Yes, there's a bit of that, but that's what you've got to look at. That's that's always the thing you've got to work out why they're doing this. Uh, in regard to Rwanda solution, it's, it does smack of Manus Island and Nauru, and indeed I think uh, 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 the Johnson... The, the, the Johnson administration or government um, uh, looked long and hard at Australia's Pacific solution, but it, it's a very different geographical concept. Uh, I did read of one refugee uh, who had made his way to Europe and then had been consigned to Rwanda, not part of the UK policy, but but uh, but uh, had been consigned to Rwanda. And, and he reported that as soon as he got to the Kigali airport, 
he was taken taken in a bus and driven to the uh, driven to the Ugandan border and and told to get out and, and go to Uganda and he did, and then he walked up to North North Africa and 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 went across the Mediterranean again and now he's living in Europe permanently. Doesn't mm. seem like a great idea. No, no, no. I've never been a particular fan of it, but got, they have to come to some arrangement to make it stop. If the Conservative government does that, there will be a chance of winning the next election. All right. Well, that's taken us all the way around the world, and now it's time to come home. Um, I'm going to kick this off, Jack, with uh, with Tony Burke, who's the Minister for uh, for Employment, um, uh, and he's introduced some in- industrial uh, relations legislation that's been held up in the Senate. Uh, I noticed uh, Jackie Lambie, one of the independents that they do rely on, well, she's not an independent, she, she's a representative of the Jackie Lambie network, but one of the crossbenchers, uh, they seem to be ignoring her. She sort of sh- she sort of shouted it down in her inimitable way, um, but uh, they continue to uh, uh, garner support and consider uh, possible compromises and, and uh, amendments to the legislation driven by uh, the ACT Senator, uh, David Pocock. Yes, indeed. Um, what the legislation seems to propose is a return to industry-wide bargaining, mm. um, uh, which, which is an idea that was um, really killed off in the Hawke-Keating years. Um, uh, much to Australia's benefit. It was one of the, the key planks in um, the changes that led to Australia to 30 years of, uh, of consistent economic growth. Well, and, and industrial relations peace. Yes. Uh, and, 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 and that's what that brought about. The issue, I think, is that what that system is, is, is not really fit for purpose in 2022 and that you've got a lot of people who are now just have, 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 have gone through the uh, or, or are outside these, um, uh, these uh, bargaining agreements and now sit uh, reliant on, um, on, uh, on, on the you know, basis wages and conditions are set by the employers and, and the awards. Yeah, um, these things always need tinkering with. I'm just not sure that I would go back to the you know the, the pre-Hawk um, situation either. Yeah, so we'll see how that goes. It would seem that Pocock is is the person that they that they uh, look to uh, that they look to. I was just thinking one of our senators, the UAP boy uh, Beach. Uh, he just seems to be ignored. I don't know if you know too much about him, Jackie. <laughs> no, 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 nothing at all. <laughs> one of the one of the world's great idiots, let me tell you. So they've just given him the flick. They don't even bother knocking on his door. Uh, they do go to Jackie Lambie. Obviously, they need to go to the Greens, and they do go to uh, Pocock uh, generally. And Pocock seems to probably be the busiest senator in the caper at the moment. Mm. Um, all right. Uh, well, we, know, we know he's not afraid of hard work. He was a pretty hard working uh, back he, rower. He, he he's, he's definitely a hard worker, regardless of what you think of David Pocock. Um, he's he's definitely in the Senate working very difficult, working uh, working very hard. Um, uh, uh, <coughs> we did see a piece from Chris Mitchell uh, published in the Australian on Monday where uh, he talked about. Um, uh, that uh, that this might be a fool's errand on Tony Burke's behalf, Jack. Yeah, um, I always take a fair bit of notice of your old pal Chris Mitchell, and um, I think he's pretty much right on this. Not really a pal, I think it's mate. A, I think it's a, it's <laughs> he's a, a former move. boss. 
<laughs> he's not really a pal, mate. He's my boss. You know, we don't. You know, we don't exchange Christmas cards. Put it that mm. way. Uh, <clears throat> but you and Hannon, uh, who's the industrial affairs reporter at the Australian, who does a very fine job. Uh, you and is a very very fine reporter. Uh, he reported that Labor was considering a possible compromise, and then that's all seemed to have followed through. You and I've got to tell you, Jack, you and Hannon used to catch the train on the um, uh, on the Eltham Line, which is uh, uh, one of my old stomping grounds as well. And uh, and he'd await uh, 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 the the entry. This is many years ago, of course. He'd await the wait the entry of uh, John Kane, former premier of uh, former Labor premier of uh, of uh, of Victoria. And uh, and and he and uh, John used to have a, a regular chat on the way to the office every morning. Very close, and and they, 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 you know they they had plenty to discuss. John Kane, of course, um, probably governed just that one one election term too long, but uh, was a, a very popular Premier of, of Victoria for a very long time. Yes. Yeah. And and he he did, he did the hard yards to bring Victorian Labor um, back from the wilderness, not yes. just him, but with um, uh, you know, what were then called the participants, the, uh, the independent faction in the Labor Party, um, brought back... Uh, labour from a long, long time in the wilderness. Just to wrap up on Chris's piece uh, uh, yesterday, he said that Albanese needs to reflect on whether this bill is really worth the risk as inflation and interest rates soar globally along with domestic power prices. He will own the consequences. What, what, he, what Chris is talking about there. Uh, <clears throat> Um, is that Labor is? He's suggesting that Labor will will take a step backwards for the party that pioneered Labor market deregulation, uh, re-regulate the uh, the industrial relations landscape, and that they may in fact lead to higher wages, but that will in in, in effect be with inflation with inflation where it's at at the moment. Uh, it's like throwing cash on a fire. <laughs> Yep, I'm inclined to agree with that assessment. All right. Now, we just want to talk about the voice, Jack, because... Uh, <coughs> not uh, my voice, but the voice. Not, 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 not your voice, which is faltering a little, but we'll, we'll keep moving so you get through. Uh, you read a piece on the weekend uh, from the inimitable George Mega, a former colleague of mine, very fine man, George Mega, uh, Megalogenus, that is, um, and he suggested that maybe we don't need a bipartisan approach to the voice, Jack, and that's uh, uh, constitutional recognition as part of a process of reconciliation with Indigenous Australians. Yeah, um, he's, he certainly has a point. And to be honest, I don't think um, that, that that the bipartisanship is the answer to the problems with the voice. Um, the problem is we need a... Um, a um, an open and honest conversation about the merits or otherwise of the of the of the proposal that's been put forward. Yes, we sort of don't really know how it's going to work, and 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 that is firstly that you know there's a three step process. The first of this constitutional recognition of Indigenous Australians, and I note there's a report in the Australian Today where Lydia Thorpe uh, has ignored legal advice and the advice of a senior Indigenous spokespeople to suggest that a constitutional recognition would essentially, she believes, concede sovereignty, Jack. 
She lives in an alternate universe, Jack. Uh, well, she's a member of the Greens. Yeah, that's right. And I'm not entirely sure why she's still uh, the Indigenous Affairs spokesperson for the Greens, given her uh, rather celebrated relationship with an outlaw motorcycle gang member, former outlaw motorcycle gang member. But there she is. Um, and, and there is a lot of uh, nonsense that she does spout about this sort of stuff. She she is uh, all seeing and can't, can't see two feet in front of her. Um, but yeah, there is. Uh, there have been uh, in the Australian a, a number of uh, a number of opinion pieces, and there should be a broad range of discussion about this from Tony Abbott, uh, Jan- Janet Elbrexton, um, Chris Merritt, the uh, the legal uh, uh, the legal editor at the Australian, uh, all against all against this. And I guess that's you know grist for the mill. But what we're missing is a lot of information. That's right. At the moment, um, I think a fair assessment of the proposal is that it's too vague, um, uh, and uh, and the criticism that keeps coming through, which I'm inclined to agree with, is that it looks like um, it will end up being um, decided in the High Court, um, and I think that would be an error. I'm a lawyer myself, and know, know a lot of lawyers. I know a lawyers who be know a lot of lawyers who become judges, and I wouldn't want them making the decisions. Well, it will be determined by a referendum, and I shouldn't just just halt there on the process. So the first stage of that process is constitutional recognition, and that will be triggered by a referendum. Yep. Um, uh, the second stage of the process is the establishment of uh, an extra parliamentary body to advise the parliament on matters affecting Indigenous Australians um, and uh, how, just exactly how those people will be appointed or elected. Or my understanding is that they will be elected. Um, uh, is the Australian, and by whom? We and don't by know that. whom? And is the Australian Electoral Commission going to oversee this election and and, 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 and who, vote, who gets to vote on that, um, mm. and, and given that there are all sort of really sort of grey interpretations of, uh, of Aboriginality in this country. Um, so those things really need to be sorted out, uh, and, and it relies on, uh, on the minister responsible, Ms Burney, to really start rolling this stuff out. I, I, I don't want to stop there. The third stage in the process is what we call mere cutter or sometimes misinterpreted... <coughs> as treaty, um, but that is a, 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 a getting together of uh, all Australians um, uh, around the table with Indigenous Australians to to uh, go over past grievances and past the outrages <coughs> and, uh, and, and, uh, and, 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 and basically come to some uh, come to some um, um, agreement about what has happened and, and then move forward. So that's the three-stage process as identified uh, in the um, uh, Uluru Statement from the Heart. Um, And we really just haven't got much further than we've got uh, at this stage. We haven't got much further than we have um, the proposed wording from the government on the referendum. It just looks a bit to me like the government's tempted to try and get this referendum through in a spirit of goodwill without divulging the details, and I think that won't work. Uh, at the moment, the way they're going, I think the chances of success of this referendum are about 40%. Yeah, uh, look, there, I would say that there is a great deal of goodwill yes, in the Australian is. community 
to get these things right. But what we do need is is uh, rolling it. I, I think uh, um, um, Minister Burney is is Linda Burney is is the is the right person to drive this forward. I mean, we can often get a bit confused uh, with with other matters that arise, uh, uh, you know, of, of great significance to Australians. But we really do need to, to outline what's going to happen, how how it will work. Uh, and then let Australians make their decisions about it. There is goodwill and it shouldn't be wasted. I really sort of worry what might occur if the referendum gets knocked over. Um, that would set back um, at least symbolic reconciliation um, back for many, many years, I think, and that would be a great uh, a great shame for this country. We do need to do these things. We do need. We should have done them a long time ago, and 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 uh, Indigenous leaders in Australia have actually shown us the way. What we do need now is some detail on how the government's going to approach this, and and an open and honest conversation about what it all means. Yep, I couldn't agree more, Jack. Sport. And politics should always be separated, but they never are. They're in hopelessly entwined, and now we're dealing with a sporting matter that is also deeply political. And this is the AFL investigation into the Hawthorne Football Club and allegations made by um, a number of um, uh, um, 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 um Individuals who are attached to Indigenous players at the club, um, in some cases over 10 years ago, between 10 and 5 years ago, uh, and they've made allegations to um, to an ABC journalist. They've also made allegations to an internal report um, compiled for the Hawthorne Football Club that no one seems to have, you know, it's just basically not available uh, for anyone to read. And and now these now the AFL has called for an investigation has established an investigation with, I think they've finally got agreed agreement on the terms of reference. It's taken months. And um, and, and, and lawyers are acting on behalf of one of um, uh, the complainants and it's just saying, well, we're not going to engage in it. That's, co- that's correct. They think their um, <coughs> allegations shouldn't be tested, um, uh, that their, their, their name shouldn't be known. Um, and that their allegations sh- that shouldn't be tested by cross-examination uh, or giving evidence. Well, um, and, of course, um, this leaves the AFL in a very difficult position because you know, the, 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 two, the, the two of the three people against whom allegations have been made are you know, million-plus-dollar-a-year coaches, and um, uh, if, if it puts their employment at risk, you can't do that on the basis of anonymous um, uh, allegations without detail and without giving them the opportunity to test those allegations. Well, I, I suggest that the AFL is not the right body to be doing that. And, and so here we are on the 8th of November. These, these uh, revelations were made in grand final week, so the last week of September, and we've got finally got a, an, an investigative body that really has no jurisdiction. Um, you know, the AFL can't compel witnesses. It can't, uh, it can't legally allow them to be under cross-examination. So what they've essentially done, the AFL here, is to say, we're going to set up a body that really uh, we would like 
to see it do things like, you know, a royal commission, um, with perhaps the uh, the laws of perjury pushed aside to one for one moment, where it can compel witnesses and it can and it can subject to, uh, subject them to cross examination. But that's 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 not part of its ballywick. It, it's it's just not that body. No, no. So a very good lawyer, but Peter Gordon is a very good lawyer uh, in charge of setting this up, but. Um, it doesn't look to me like it's going to fly. I mean, if they try and proceed um, uh, to have an investigation into uh, Clarkson, Fagan and uh, the other chap, Jason Burt, um, without them having the protection of being able to test the allegations, yeah. then they'll march around the door to the Supreme Court and the whole thing will be thrown out in about 10 minutes. Oh, look, it will because it is a denial of natural justice. There's no yep. doubt about that. These are allegations. You can't, you can't take away people's livelihoods on the basis of a untested. Of an anonymous, untested allegation. Yeah, that, that, that's right. No, they, and they are very concerning allegations, but they are untested. And I think most people understand that. Um, and uh, uh, most people who follow the AFL understand that, that you know, that, that, that that uh, uh, the, the coaches Clarkson and Fagan, uh, Fagan at Brisbane, Clarkson now at North Melbourne, have 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 suffered these allegations with a sort of denial of natural justice. I'm not not being sympathetic towards them necessarily, but but um, um, but the, the AFL really has no way forward on this, and really the only other way that this will be resolved is in the civil courts. Yes. Or it won't be. It'll just be. Or it won't be. And 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 look, here we are, eighth of November. Clarkson decided he was going to stand down and not coach North Melbourne. He's just been appointed to coach there for I think five years. Uh, and North Melbourne have got all their eggs in that one basket. By the way, um, uh, their their future is very much locked uh, into Alastair Clarkson's coaching. Um, I think I think they're both both back at work. Oh, they yeah, yeah, definitely both back at work. Fagan, I think, was back at work two weeks ago. Um, and, uh, and, and, and and really there's nothing stopping them. Uh, the AFL could not say, well, we don't want you coaching right at the moment because, as you say, straight to the Supreme Court and, uh, and, and all that injuncted and wiped away. Yeah. Um, at this stage, I might add, um, neither Fagan nor Clarkson, as I understand it, know the identity of the people who are making the complaints nor any of the details. They haven't seen a copy of the report. They haven't seen any of that. So there's just no prospect that you could stop them from working on that basis. Oh, yeah. Look, they would have a fair idea. And and I was talking to some people at North Melbourne who who told me the identity of one of of the the claimants or complainants or the the, the player who was um, in a relationship with one of the complainants. Again, North Melbourne is, is deeply, deeply committed to Clarkson coaching. So I take what they've said with a bit of a, a grain of salt. Um, um, look, it, it just seems like this will go nowhere. And, and and like I say, this was supposed to be resolved according to uh, the AFL CEO, the outgoing AFL CEO. And this was going to be resolved by Christmas, and it just it simply won't be. I just wonder about the quality of advice that the complainants have received because you can't have a special class of complainant. Yeah, I understand. I understand that process and we're talking about natural justice. And and so this is probably going to go to the civil courts, um, whether... uh, I I don't think it will. I think it'll go nowhere. Okay. 
so you believe that these allegations would just sit sit in the ether for forever, well, really? Uh, because unless the complainants are prepared to put their hand up and say, "This is me. This is what happened," and I'm prepared to go to court and test it, it'll go nowhere. <clears throat> I, I, so I'm, I, I, that's where I might disagree with you. Just in terms of uh, one complainant, obviously, has lawyered up, and there was a statement made by them, and that's uh, the Mark lawyers, M A R Q U E lawyers, uh, and they've issued a statement. And I, I'd suggest that on the basis of those, uh, on the basis of that statement, that they may well head to the civil courts uh, <coughs> to determine some form of damages, anyway. Um, but we'll see. Um, but that's- no, but they can't go to a civil court and, and seek damages unless they're prepared to put their names up. Well, that's what I mean. And, that's and where they'll their, do it. Have their thing chested, That's so. where they'll do it. But they won't do it. Well, they won't do it to a sort of cobbled together AFL investigation. And, and I do, I do that, and I say that respectfully in regard to the people who are involved in it. But, uh, but the the AFL always understood when they were going to set this inquiry up. Um, and that they one can't compel witnesses, don't uh, don't uh, have the ability to cross examine them, uh, and uh, don't have the laws in perjury of perjury in place. Well, well, that's that they have no rule of perjury, but they can compel witnesses, but oh, only witnesses who are currently employed in the, in the football employees. system. They, they're yeah. the only ones they can compel. That's right. Yeah. So it was it was always a sort of a, a bit of fool's errand from the AFL. So yeah, it was one of those things where the AFL had to be seen to be acting without actually acting. Mm. All right. Well, they can put their hand up now and say, we tried to run a, an independent and fair process. Um, but if the complainants don't want to be involved in it, then we can't do it. Mm. Yeah, okay. Uh, and that sort of has, has died a bit of a death. I must say that when I first heard uh, these accusations, I thought they were very, very serious and that, that may, you know, I wasn't the only one. I think Mark Robinson and the Herald Sun uh, made uh, made it very clear that uh, if these uh, accusations were true, then it would mean the end of the coaching careers of uh, Clarkson and Fagan. But the allegations remain untested and largely anonymous, Jack. There um, was the usual journalistic rush to judgment. Yeah, I probably got caught up in it a little bit. I mean, the, the, the allegations were very serious. Um, and, um, yeah, uh, I've since learned that there's a, perhaps a little bit more to that than them, but I won't raise those issues at the moment mm. uh, because they've come from a source that's it's, it's a little bit qualified. I mean, you know, that, that, that may not exactly have the uh, the best interests of a fair outcome at, at heart. And, and you and I both know that the football industry is rife with rumours oh, yeah. and always has been. My club know? right or wrong, mate. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, um, State elections coming up, Jack, very, very soon. In fact, a couple of weeks, uh, in fact, Saturday week, uh, Dan will be looking for his uh, – Dan, dictator Dan. Uh, Dan Andrews will be uh, will be looking for his third term in government, one with an increased majority all the way back in 2018, uh, nine plus uh, – and the addition of nine seats – uh, in the lower house in in uh, in 2018, it was a rather stunning victory. I suspect, Jack, that uh, it won't be so easy this time. Uh, perhaps that's right. Um, he's still got the great advantage that the Liberal Party in Victoria is an awful mess. Oh, they're terrible. They're absolutely terrible. And the, and the fact that they're either on the, you know, that they're actually up for grabs is really quite shocking. 
Um, they, they are an absolute basket case. But in a, a democracy, um, while we have preferential voting, um, uh, the, the, the two major parties are the ones who battle it out. Um, uh, Dan's been under pretty solid attack um, uh, in the media, particularly uh, on 3AW and also Harold Sun, you might call them the usual suspects, Jack, uh, over matters including a, a motor vehicle accident where his wife was driving nine years ago uh, and some uh, matters that have been under consideration of the uh, anti-corruption body in Victoria, the IBAC. Um He's, I, I, I don't think, what's your, what's your call on this, Jack? I, I, I don't think he's cruising to victory. I certainly don't see that on the basis of a very, very weak and ineffectual opposition. Yeah, I think he'll win on the, ba- on the basis of a weak and ineffectual opposition. Uh, <laughs> how, how, what the margin will be, um, uh, uh, I don't know. I reckon there'll be. Uh, I reckon there'll be some um, um, uh, quite, quite a quite a significant cross bench uh, in the lower house and in the upper house as well. I do see Adam Swamirak, a man with no shame, Jack, and that's what you need him in politics. Uh, he's lining up with uh, Bernie Finn from the from the DLP, Jack. Uh, I remember Bernie from back in my days of living in Victoria. Mm. Uh, and, and any any <laughs> you can't just leave that out there, Jack. Oh, no, no, he, he was always an amusing character, I thought. <clears throat> oh, and amusing in that sort of old DLP way, you know. Mm. Uh, he, he was the one who alluded to Andrews as Hitler, um, <laughs> among other things. Uh, and, uh, and and there was even talk of lockdowns, Jack. Um, uh, pretty scandalous sort of information that we might that that Victoria might go through a, a through a lockdown, uh, a COVID lockdown around Christmas time. That's dirty. That's dirty politics, isn't it? It probably is. Yeah, yeah. This is it's a, it's turning really sleazy in the last couple of weeks. And don't worry, the Labor Party uh, they don't get around with white gloves on either. Yeah, well, it, well, well, that's true, and that's always been the case. Um, uh, red and tooth and claw, the battles in, in, in inner Melbourne where um, uh, we lived were always like that. Um, I just find it pretty odd that they're jumbling things, the Liberal Party are jumbling things like what happened in a car accident together with the IBAC. I mean, the IBAC thing's serious. Yeah. What happened in a car accident involving uh, Dan Andrews' wife's immaterial? Oh, it, it's it, 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 it's it's a little bit scandalous. Um, uh, what did uh, Andrew say? They can go low, uh, but I won't be joining them. Thanks very much. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, look, which, which coming from Dan Andrews is quite amusing. Really, isn't it? <laughs> He's a, a model of decorum. Um, it, it, it looks to me, if you were you, going, you, you don't climb through the Victorian Labor factions and get to be Premier without doing a bit of kneeing and the, from, kneeing and the nuts. From and, the know. left. From the left. I, yeah. I, look, I, I, I remember talking to some people who uh, were in the property development business who had a little bit to do with Dan, and this is all pre-COVID, of course, and they were nothing but impressed by him uh, as a bloke who would want to listen and learn. Um, but he has got the taint of, um, oh, look, I would say excessive pandemic management. Um, we certainly know now that this idea of going to zero community infections before you could open up your, your city uh, and your state was just bizarre. It's quite a common view across the border here. <laughs> that's, that's 
where they got it from, Jack. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> look, it is really COVID. We are going to – we will set aside some time to talk about pandemic mismanagement, and I think Australia got a fair bit right. I think everything they got around vaccinations was pretty much right. Um, but but some of the said so locking down the country, you know, for for a period of about and, eighteen months. So I think that's just nuts, and we're paying and the price the, and for the, that now. The, and the state border thing was completely crazy. That was um, yeah, know, that was nuts, and yeah, and it was it, so reminiscent of of the Spanish flu pandemic, where where basically yeah. the states brawled through through the whole pandemic. Um, uh, we do have rising rates of COVID deaths, by the way. I mean, we had nine hundred in. 2020 when uh, when we were locked down for a large chunk of it, uh, just another 2,000 in, in 2021. And again, we had lockdowns through that period. Uh, no lockdowns now. We've had a, a 13,000 year-to-date uh, COVID deaths. Um, and and, the, and the, uh, about four to one unvaccinated to vaccinated. Mm. It's narrowing because, the, because COVID itself strikes at the elderly and, and, and those with uh, pre-existing health conditions. Um, so that's narrowing. It was 10 to 1, now it's 4 to 1. All right, and of course we've got uh, a state election north of the Murray Jack in in my home state. Uh, a little a, a bit of polling showing that uh, Perrottet might still be around. Iggy certainly uh, not going to do any harm when Anthony Albanese gave him high praise, and I think so, so did Paul Keating just recently. Yeah, um, uh, Perrottet's now leading in the preferred premier um, poll, which is interesting. Well, that's just um, and they've, I think the the the, the libs have um, have increased their um, vote on the on the polling by five five points, and Labor have lost five points. Yeah, it does. So look it's still like it's Labor lead thirty eight to thirty five, but um, it's certainly narrowing. I, I would say the, the the Liberals are now back in with a chance. I thought they were no chance at all a few months ago. Well, let me just. Um, uh, uh, take you back to that no chance uh, movement, Jack. Uh, uh, there's seat by seat polling, which is notoriously unreliable. Let's just say that. Um, but there's seat by seat polling undertaken by Redbridge Group. I don't know at all, but, but it's on behalf of the Climate 200. Uh, and seat by seat polling suggests the New South Wales Coalition is in danger of losing several electorates to teal independence at the Marks election, with the primary vote of Environment Minister James Griffin perilously low, around about 31%. And so you, this is what the Liberals found in, 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 um, in the recent federal election, is that they will be fighting a war on two fronts. Um, and and if if those figures are, are really are in any way close, and I know a couple of people are involved in the, the teal campaigns as strategists and and uh, etc. And uh, and and they you know if they've got polling figures that they're not made up, they are genuine. As I say, they seat by seat polling is notoriously unreliable. Um, but if they tell me they're they're uh, they're good things. To possibly as win as win as many as six seats, then uh, you can pretty much trust them. Yes. So that would that would that underpins a, a real problem for Perrottet going forward because he he might well stand a very good chance against Labor, but if he's got to fight Labor and Teals, he's in big trouble. Yeah. Yeah. But 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 they were no chance at all two months ago, I think, and now they're back in it. All right, just very, very quickly, the Robo Debt Royal Commission has uh, has uh, begun begun hearings, uh, and uh, 
uh, that uh, came with a rather explosive uh, revelation. I suspect there'll be quite a few coming forward, but we are very early days at this stage. That, that the proposed robo debt scheme, the legal and policy problems attached to them, were watered down in a brief being prepared for the then Social Services Minister Scott Morrison, uh, and that brief was watered down by somebody in the DSS. So they're, they're pointing the finger at the bureaucracy. Uh, in these very early days, Jack, just somebody in the DSS. We can't tell who, yeah, who well, it was. Well, here's here's my tip on the, on the results of this inquiry. It was a pretty bad idea and very poorly implemented. <laughs> right, that's a very good thing. That, and, I, and, I, and, and I, I won't even charge $2,000 a day for that. <laughs> I think that's pretty much where we'll go uh, with uh, where, where we end up, but there'll be some, plenty more revelations to come. Uh, over now to a, to uh, to more um, uh, to more enjoyable matters in, in, in terms of sport. Uh, the T20 World Cup, uh, we are now down to four. Uh, England play India. Uh, Australia, uh, sorry, New Zealand play Pakistan. Australia got 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 rumbled out. They weren't good enough. They uh, uh, they uh, they didn't play well enough. That was basically it. I don't think it needs much more analysis than that. Oh, and I think they were they were uh, making the mistake of fighting the last war. Um, they had the wrong team in there. They had um, you know they, they they left blokes there because they won it last year. They thought they have to go around again, and that clearly wasn't that was, right. I, I think, and, and I think that's reasonable because they'd won the World Cup just last year, less than twelve oh, months I away. Think, I don't think it's reasonable at all. But there you go. I we think that's reasonable. That. And then and then you'd see uh, then you'd see uh, uh, Finch bat, and really he just lost the ability to bat. It sounds like he had about a thousand blokes in his ear talking to him about technique. In the end, he was batting in this kind of baseball crouch with his with his with his back foot going back, and a bo- and a bat coming from third slip. There's just no way you could you could play a ball uh, on a, on a on a on a good length, just short of a good length, without getting cut in half that way because you, you, your feet can't go forward and you can't go any further back. And it's great if the ball's short, you'll be able to pull it, but anything else. You're in trouble. So poor old Finch. And he, I watched him do the hamstring, and he looked like. Um, uh, oh, he looked like Rich. me. He looked yeah, like well, me doing he, the lawns. He looked like the fat bloke who's sort of given cricket away and being persuaded to come back and capture the <laughs> second grade. You know, look, he's been a great player. I don't want to bag him too much, but yeah, he has. Been, he's been a great he perhaps, player. He perhaps hang on a bit cricket. long. I think is the answer. It just, it was just, but it, but it is the way. You know, it, it can just be that one. Month too long, you know, and, yeah. and where the hands and the eyes go, and, and well, the form goes first, and then then you really struggle to put it all back together again. But but uh, not that he's the, the sole uh, sole responsibility there. They, they went in there, Marsh, who's a, is a wonderful short form cricketer, uh, not in great form, didn't make many runs. Maxie was didn't uh, Glenn Maxwell didn't make it uh, wasn't in great form. He got some runs late. Uh, and really, uh, outside of Marcus Stoinis and, and maybe Matthew Wade, their batsmen just didn't have a lot of form. No, they didn't. They introduced. So, so who's, who's going to win the World Cup? Oh well, yeah. Look, yeah, we don't want to analyse why Australia fell short. I'll tell you who I'd like to see. Win. I'll tell you who I'd like to see play in a final, and it looks like good things, right? That Pakistan will play India in a final. That 
they, when they played in a, in a, in a table game, they, um, uh, they, they drew 90,000 at the MCG. It's been the one good crowd of the whole tournament. Well, the, the tournament's played at the wrong time of the year for mine. Um, well, uh, they, they're sort of smidging it all in around the IPL, Jack. You know? Yes, I know. <laughs> yeah. just, I know there's reasons for it. Um, it just wasn't a great spectacle. You know? um, uh, but uh, India play, play Zimbabwe uh, on Sunday. They got 82,000 there at the G. Mm. So it tells you, I mean, it, it's wonderful to see. I'd love to see India play off against Pakistan. That's not to say that New Zealand aren't in with a chance against Pakistan because they, they really haven't done much wrong in their tournament. India look to be uh, in form, you know, hitting uh, explosive form at, at just the right time. Um, uh, Kohli is uh, in in superb nick and uh, Sundra Kumar um, uh, is is just an outstanding foil for him. But gee, if you saw him against the Zims, they were bowling. The Zimbabweans were bowling exactly the right spots, and that was two feet outside, full Yorker length, and two feet outside the off stump. And he was getting around and sweeping it over fine leg for six. I mean, you know, the Zims were going, well, we got nothing now. I mean, it was just extraordinary. Um, so, Lair, good luck to the finalists, uh, New Zealand, Pakistan, India, uh, India play England. We can't uh, sell the English short either, too. They've got uh, Joss Butler, who's, who I would think, the best uh, T20 bat in the world and a pretty good attack and plenty of support around him with the bat. Should be fascinating this weekend. Um, Jack, uh, rugby, the spring tours, what have we got to look forward to there? Um, well, something to look forward to last weekend was Argentina knocking off England at, uh, oh, at wow. Twickenham. Really? Yeah. Uh, a, a triumph for Michael Checker, the former Australian coach, um, uh, who I think coached Lebanon in the Rugby League he World did. Cup the, the same day or Very 24 hours before, mm. and then turned up to coach um, uh, the Argentinians to a victory over England at Twickenham. So that was great. The Aussies just fell short against a very good France. I think France are the number one rated team or number two behind Ireland. Ireland, yeah. Um, um, so the Aussies are on the improve. The Wallabies are on the improve. Um, but uh, discipline cost them as it always does. They are the dumbest team in world rugby in terms of managing their relationship with referees. They just, you know, and have been for twenty five years. The, 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 they got to they got to do more than just call them Sir Jack. Um, yeah. they got to buddy up to them, give them a bit of back slapping, and you know yeah. all that sort of stuff. You know, get on, mate. Cheers, great to see you. You are you are genuinely the, genuinely the best referee in, in world rugby. And, and do what the Kiwis have been good at, which is to adapt the, your game slightly to to play it within that particular referee's requirements. And meanwhile, the Rugby League uh, World Cup, Jack, we're just uh, getting to the uh, to the, uh, the the to the pointy end of that. Uh, there's, a, there's a fair few uh, <coughs> there's a fair few beltings handed out to some of the minnows, but we're getting to the serious end now. So who's going to win that? Australia win, win that? Oh, New Zealand, I think. You know, I think they're the reigning World Cup champions. I mean, that's that. Basically, it's it's either it's either them uh, or us, and uh, and we hope it's us. Mm. And meanwhile, Jack, you would have been watching a fair bit of the Spring Carnival. I did write about I this in relation indeed. to the Melbourne Cup. Um, uh, is it dying, Jack? Numbers are down. It, 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 
have the, have the greenies won? Have the hippies won? And uh, and, yeah. uh, and, and, and I don't think so. The numbers nah. are down, but they're still. I mean, I, I, I used to used to do all four days of the Flemington Carnival back in the day. I had the good fortune to have my uh, uh, managing partner was the chairman of the TAB, so uh, I used to park myself in the uh, in the TAB marquee for about four days at a time. Um, and uh, the numbers are, are down to about the level they were then in the late 80s. Yeah, there was that peak around the turn of the century where you'll find that most um, uh, record attendances were, were made, and that's Derby Day, Melbourne Cup Day, Oaks Day. Um, were, yeah, were, so, were, so, were so back big, in the late 80s, numbers. back in the late 80s, you'd have 100,000 on Melbourne Cup Day, round about. 90-something thousand, you'd have about 60,000 on Derby Day and then 40,000 on uh, on Oaks Day, because uh, that's a working day, yeah. um, uh, and, 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 and about the same on Stakes Day, the last day. Um, but then in the, in the 2000s, you were getting 80 and 90,000 every day. Well, you got, that you, was, you, but you, that, but that, was a, that was an aberration in my view. Well, Melbourne uh, Melbourne people very sensibly decided to take the Monday off. Um, so they, uh, you know, you get a lot of that people taking their holidays, take a day's holiday, or or just pull a sickie and uh, and go from Derby uh, straight to the Melbourne Cup. Uh, look, the numbers are down. Television numbers are a little bit down. Um, it's a bit hard to judge that. It's though, hard it? to because tell these days. Uh, and and really, I am not going to give one moment's triumph to the uh, saying up to the cup uh, madness that uh, that uh, the Green Senator um, uh, Marine Faruqi puts about. Um, you know, when, when I went looking at their website to see what else you could do on a Melbourne Cup day, Jack, there was directions to go to all you can eat vegan restaurants and all this sort of nonsense and. Um, and, and and part of that sort of drivel, they, they sort of attached themselves to the um, to the levy wall. Uh, and not not didn't, didn't attach themselves to it, although some idiot did pump <clears throat> some sort of sludge on the back straight at Flemington. Uh, but they're also sort of calling for uh, heads to roll over the establishment of the levy, the Flemington levy. Um, yeah. They'd make money out of me. I don't know all we can eat vegan restaurant. Well, I go to a lunch club on Melbourne Cup Day, and one bloke, you know, he sort of made a protest. He wasn't going to turn up because he was going to say up to the cup. And I said, mate, that's fine, mate. We just don't want to ever see you here again, ever. <laughs> and and, and uh, true to his word, he hasn't turned up. So, uh, yes, I would say Melbourne Cup's still got plenty of years to run, Jack. So yeah. wrapping it up, Jack. I see. Uh, see, you've got some some uh, some mirth for us. Just a little bit of mirth. Um, I don't know whether you've seen these. Um, we shouldn't be laughing at people losing their jobs, but uh, <coughs> it happens to all of us from time to time. Uh, have you seen the TikTok videos that became very popular over the last six months or so um, of people uh, showing us their day at Facebook or Google or Twitter? No. You know, uh, um, uh, and they invariably um, show themselves, you know, getting a bit of exercise in the morning. Um, you know, they arrive at the office, go and get a nice smoothie, a juice smoothie or something, and then they have a lovely lunch prepared for them and they go up on the roof and have a chat to a few people. They don't seem to do any work. <laughs> um, uh, um, and um, That is uh, their work, Jack. That's their uh, work. That's uh, what they're and doing. In, and in the light of, um, the, of the sackings at Twitter, one of the funniest people on Twitter, um, David Burge, 
from Austin, Texas, um, wrote a script for the next one. Um, 9 a.m. I arrive at work for a quick spin cycle workout at the company gym, then stop by the cafe for a fluffy omelette and macchiato. Thanks, Chef Ryan. 10.30 a.m., time for a kombucha break. Come Yummy. Kombucha, Noon. Yeah. Noon. Here are the company security guys handing me a free cardboard box. Walk type. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've got to get some exercise in there. Very, very good, Jack. Um, and, uh, well, we have run long and we have put extreme pressure on your voice and we do apologise for that, uh, Jack, but thank you for joining us I, as usual. Just, just just, a sadder note, one of the nicest things I read all week, um, it, was, it, was, it was about someone who died and it's a quote from C.S. Lewis, um, the great English writer, said somewhere that it, that it isn't just that his friend died, it's that the part of him that only his friend could bring out would never be bought out again. Oh, well, yeah, that's death. And uh, that's one, 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 one eternal certainty of life, Jack. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, look, thank you very much for joining us. And we just do remind our listeners uh, to uh, give us a review on your podcast app. It can, it can be one star, hopefully not. Um, but uh, give us a review on your podcast app. And if you're still on Twitter and whether you paid your $8 or not, per month to get a blue tick, uh, might just give us a rev up there. And, of course, we do encourage our listeners to um, uh, to uh, to write to us, uh, the, the conditional release program at gmail.com. You can drop me a line there or my DMs are open for now at, on Twitter uh, and uh, and drop us a line or, or we'll always raise uh, some of these issues. We do also do apologise to some of our listeners. We haven't been all that regular, but we are going to be coming out every Wednesday uh, at some point during the day uh, with our weekly spin on matters overseas and domestic. Good on you, Jack. Thanks very much for your time today. Cheers, mate. And go well with that throat. All right, listeners, thanks a lot. See ya. <laughs>